1973, Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote a book that many would call the most influential book of the 20th century. Uh, U.S. Ambassador later called it the most powerful single indictment of a political regime ever to be levied in modern times. The Gulag Archipelago uh, tells the tale of what happened in the USSR during the reign of Stalin. Uh, the Gulag, uh, the prison camps that millions of Russians were put into, oppressed by their own people. It told uh, stories from people that Alexander Solzhenitsyn had met in prison himself, his own experience, journals and diaries that he had written that outlined the atrocities, the horror of what was done uh, to the Russian people uh, for about four decades. When he wrote this, he people in the USSR and around the world knew that bad things were happening uh, there, but they didn't realize the scope and the depth of what was happening. Millions of people were starved to death, uh, were murdered, were worked to the point of not being able to recover. And when he wrote this, he knew it would lead to division. In a sense, the USSR was peaceful uh, when, uh, during the Cold War uh, within, within their own country. Um, Everyone followed the government. If you didn't, uh, you were sent to Siberia. You were uh, sent off. So there was a peace in a sense, and he knew he would break that by writing this. But he was willing to cause division because he had a hope of a better Russia, of a place with peace and freedom that would last and was true. But with when he published this, it sent shockwaves around the world and started a process within and without of Russia, what would... Um, what would eventually bring down the communist regime. His pen was like a sword that was used to bring down one of the most hideous and barbaric um, governments in our world's history. Something Jesus said was, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. We are in a ser series called I Am, where we're looking at different characteristics of Jesus, who he is and who we are in light of who he is. Today, we're looking at Jesus from Matthew 10, 34 to 39 under the title, I am warrior. My premise today may not seem to fit at first glance. It's this, having Jesus as our warrior is the safest place to be. Having Jesus as our warrior is the safest place to be. Let's explore that. So this is a tough passage, no question about it, especially to our 21st century Western peacetime ears. But it's important that we don't commit cultural or chronological snobbery when we read a passage like this. Uh, and by, by that I mean, do we think that how we view this is how every part of history viewed this? And the troubles we have with this passage are what everybody in history would have had a trouble with or everyone in the world right now. But for example, like our culture finds it hard to believe in a God who's judgmental. But there are other cultures around the world and in history, most of them in fact, that would actually find it more difficult to believe that God is merciful. We ask questions like, how could a loving God send people to hell? Other cultures had no problem with that, but they would ask the question, how could a just God be merciful to those who do evil? How could, they, how could God not punish people? So we see an example of this in, in the Old Testament with Jonah and the Ninevites. Uh, he didn't want to preach the message to them, not because uh, he thought it wouldn't work. He was afraid it would work. He didn't want the Ninevites who had uh, oppressed 
uh, Israel, who were a sworn enemy of the Israelites, he didn't want them to have a chance to repent. He wanted them to be judged by God. So we see, uh, even to this audience, they might not have the same questions that we do. But now, if this passage was all we knew about Jesus, it would be very troubling. Uh, but we need to read this passage in its context and uh, the context of all of scripture. So first of all, we know here Jesus is saying, I haven't come to bring peace. But we know Jesus cares about peace. Countless times he talks about peace and peace is valued in, in the scriptures. Like John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. That was one of the last things Jesus said to his disciples. We know love is central to Jesus. Of course, if you've read the Bible at all, you know uh, Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, we know Jesus' ethic involves not uh, revenge and violence, uh, but loving even those who are vengeful and violent to you. So in light of this, we know that the sword Jesus brings isn't a military, military call to arms to his followers. This mistake has been made too many times in history, whether the Crusades or uh, certain fringe alt-right uh, groups in our society today. But then what is his sword if it's not a literal sword that Jesus is talking about for his disciples? Let's look at the immediate context of this passage. Matthew 10 is Jesus sending out the 12 disciples to drive out evil spirits, heal every disease, proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Weapons of Christ are not the weapons of this world. We just finished a series looking at the armor of God and what was the sword there? The sword of the spirit, Ephesians 6, 17. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Or Hebrews 4, 12 uses a similar illustration. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Uh, we don't always want that kind of sword in our own lives, but we definitely need it. Uh, like someone who has inoperable cancer or has operable cancer and they're willing to let a surgeon take a knife to their body to get that tumor out in the same way we need the sword of the spirit in our own lives and in the world. So Jesus' sword is truth motivated by love and offering hope. Now, sadly, this kind of sword, despite Jesus' intentions, is still inevitably going to cause division. Evil spirits won't go quietly uh, Pharisees won't quickly give up uh, what they've built their life on uh, for a new teacher. Those who gain from other religions won't want people to turn to this Jesus. An example of this we see in scripture is Acts 19. Here the Apostle Paul came to Corinth and uh, he preached and did many miracles and this was amazing and people saw the power of God. But there were a group of metal workers who made idols and shrines that they realized this was bad for business. They were losing their reputation. They were losing money. So they caused a riot and didn't want Paul to be there. And he had to flee to another city. Now, Jesus doesn't hope for this kind of division, but he knows that if he's true to his message and if we're true to his message, there will be division. Jesus can't change his character to accommodate our sin. He's willing to sacrifice himself for us, but he's not willing to compromise on his character and who God is. Earlier in this passage, we see the same idea. Jesus says, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will, will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Jesus won't let temporary peace and things looking nice on the outside take the place of real eternal peace that each of our souls need and that we can often be distracted 
or opposed to, distracted from or opposed to. He wants people to come experience love and forgiveness he has us to experience in, in the community of Jesus. Now, I think we all realize that sometimes breaking the peace is important. In take a more uh, trait example. Uh, so say I'm out for a walk with someone from my Trinity Life R3 group in Cabbage Town, and we're having a nice stroll, nice chat. Maybe we're talking about marriage, and I'm just saying how amazing uh, my wife Cindy is. Uh, but what if at, right at that moment, I don't notice that I'm coming to an in- intersection and there's a speeding SUV coming by? I would hope that you, my friend who's walking with me, would grab my arm and yell at me to stop me from being hit by that car. You're willing to sacrifice the piece of a conversation uh, to keep me from being destroyed, or at least I hope. I hope you will. Okay, I, I trust you will. But having Jesus as our warrior, someone who's got our back, who's fighting for us, is the safest place to be. There are two sides of Jesus being a warrior that we see in this passage that I want to look at a bit more in depth and how they impact us. So first, Jesus Jesus polarizes so we can prioritize. Jesus polarizes so we can prioritize. Let's look back at the passage, verses 35 to 36. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now, this still happens today. Uh, Just this winter, I met a student at U of T who two years ago had to flee from a North African country uh, because of her faith. Her mom and then in turn her and her sister had come to put their faith in Jesus in a predominantly Muslim country. And uh, for a while, they were able to keep their Bible hidden in their house. They were able to make up other reasons. They left the house on Sundays uh, instead of saying they were going to a church. But eventually, their dad and husband found out. When he did, he gathered the entire extended family. They confronted the mom, told her she had to turn back to Islam. And when she refused, they started searching through the house to try to find and take away her passport. They uh, were ready, started making plans to tell the religious police in the country so she would be imprisoned or tortured or perhaps worse. Uh, she was able to take her two daughters, flee uh, first to Turkey and then to Canada. Uh, that, in that situation, Jesus brought division to a family. There are two girls and a mom here in Toronto, who don't talk to their father anymore uh, because of the message of Jesus. Jesus does polarize. Now, it might be more accurate to say that Jesus reveals polarization rather than causes it. In this example, was it Jesus who broke up this family or was it the father who was stubbornly unwilling to turn to Jesus himself or even allow his family to do so? The Africa Study Bible has this commentary on this passage. It says, there was a Semitic technique in merging the cause and the effect. The effect was that there was a persecution, a lack of peace. What was the cause? Jesus was only indirectly the cause because he sent out his disciples. The real cause was those who would persecute his believers. So the real ones polarizing are the enemies of Christ. But Jesus allows this priority this polarization, and sends us into it. So we know polarization isn't good in most senses. But when we believe in something strongly enough, we are willing to live with it. 
the problem in our world is that we just often uh, polarize things we don't need to. We make a big deal out of where someone stands on a on a vaccine or um, different political views uh, when we should tolerate those things. But if we think deeply enough, there are situations where we we're willing to stand with polarization. So, for example, I was bullied a lot as a child. And don't worry, I'm not saying this for pity. I've gone to counseling. I'm all right now. But there was unity on the playground when I was in grade three. Uh, when I got picked on by the bullies, everyone either participated, laughed, or did nothing. There was no division, except maybe me. But what I wouldn't have done for someone to have wanted the polarization, been willing to get into the polarization enough to stand with me, defend me, or be with me as I was being picked on. Or take a whistleblower in a company that's uh, dumping to toxic waste into the environment. There's peace in that company until someone speaks up and breaks that. But if it's a big enough cause, if people are being hurt and something could be changed, we know it's worth causing division in order to bring about a better good. So let's take a moment for something interactive here. Turn to people in your R3, if you're with one or you're with your family, whoever's with you watching this video and pause the timer and ask the question, what is a situation or problem in our city or world that is worth fighting against? What is a problem or situation in our city or the world that's worth fighting against? Now, disclaimer, of course, we're, we need to do it in a way that uh, honors Jesus with weapons of love and, uh, and care. Um, but what's something you'd be willing to stand against culture for? So take a moment for that. Thanks for sharing those. We know Jesus is against many things. He's against human trafficking, against racism, against spiritual forces of darkness, against own sinfulness in our hearts. When worthwhile polarization exists, we need to prioritize. It causes us to think, who are we following here? So who are we going to follow? Prioritization. Verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And that's, that's tough. God, Jesus takes what should be in the eyes of the world, the most valuable thing. And of course we should love our fathers, our mothers, our children, but he's asking, where do your ultimate loyalties lie? Ultimately that's with Christ. It's not with your spouse, your children, uh, even your own dreams and visions. It's not even with Trinity Life Church. Our primary alliance, allegiance is with Jesus. An example of this being tested, a friend of mine, Corey, back in university, it was 1995 and he was on a summer mission trip in Calgary. 
he was walking home through this park and he saw a, a slightly younger teen uh, on a bench, looked a little rough, uh, not dressed the nicest, um, looked like a uh, tough character. But anyway, Corey had a huge heart for sharing his faith with others. Uh, Corey had some free time, uh, so he just made his way over to the bench, introduced himself to this uh, younger guy, um, asked, started asking him a couple questions, said he's on this Christian mission project, wanted to see his opinion on faith. They talked back and forth. Corey asked some questions. This guy gave some fairly skeptical answers. Uh, Corey shared a bit of his perspective as it was open. Um, then all of a sudden, mid-conversation, out of nowhere, this kid pulls a knife out of his pocket and puts it to Corey's throat and says, do you still believe in this Jesus guy? And Corey, kind of stammering but confident uh, despite his nervousness, said, yeah, I, I do. And the kid put away his knife and said, okay, I was just checking if you're real. We don't often have that kind of test where we think our life might be on the line. But every day we have opportunities uh, to show, is Jesus really top priority in, in our life? We see it in how we spend our money, how we spend our time. Are we willing to give up uh, things that we wanted uh, to further and advance God's kingdom? Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. We see the cross as glorious now, knowing what Jesus did on it, dying for our forgiveness as a sacrifice. But to this original audience, the cross meant death. It meant sacrifice. And, and they knew this wasn't something easy Jesus was asking them. And he asked the same of us today. But Jesus is so worth it. Just think about what we've learned about Jesus in this series, the weeks leading up to this. Jesus says, I am open. I am forgiver. I am free. I am servant. How could we not want to be on the side of someone who's all that and so much more? So midway through here, I want to ask, who is this message for? First of all, there may be some of you watching today who aren't in the fight, aren't uh, aligned with Jesus in this battle. Or you're jumping in and out of the fight, depending on the day. We're weak. We, we have that. Uh, but I invite you in. The recruiting office of Jesus Army is always open. And even if you were in the battle before and deserted or you had a dishonorable discharge in some way, you're always welcome back. Jesus never turns away anyone who comes to him. And we have a commander who's so worth following. But I want to focus the rest of this message uh, even more so on those of you who are in the fight, you are making sacrifices for Jesus. You're trying to expand his kingdom. Uh, you've given up things to uh, further his message around the world and to those around you. Know that you have a warrior who fights with you and for you. He leads the way and he has your back. So for those who do prioritize him, Jesus does something incredible. And this is the second part. First was Jesus polarizes so that we can prioritize. But next, Jesus protects so we can profit. Verse 39b, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus offers that if any of us put him first, losing our life for him, we will gain true life. Our real life that matters the most, our soul will be protected. I recently finished reading a book called The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom about a family during World War II that was protecting uh, Jewish people, hiding them in their house and the consequences that came from that. Uh, if you were a Dutch person in World War II, you would have experienced two invasions, but those two invasions were very different. 
There was invasion in 1940 of the Germans, who despite Holland saying they were neutral, Germany invaded, they came to take over, to oppress, to use up Holland's resources, to put their people into harsh working conditions for their war effort. That was the first invasion that everyone thinks of. But the second invasion was equally military, equally involved a fight. Well, in fact, more so because the Germans put up more of a fight than the Dutch were able to originally. But in 1945, the Canadians, the British, the Polish invaded Holland. But it was for a totally different reason than the Germans did. They weren't there to take over. They were there to free. They were there to protect the Dutch people. They were there to drive out this enemy force that had been oppressing them. And the way that the Dutch saw those two invasions was completely different. The one was met with mourning and fear, and the other was with freedom, waving flags in the city, cheering, knowing that freedom had come. And when we think of Jesus as a warrior, we need to think about him in that second sense, the one who's coming to free us, to give us true life and uh, take us, take our oppressors away from us. We see this, that Jesus is this kind of warrior that defends us, that protects us throughout scripture. Exodus 15, 13, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And what kind of warrior is he? Look at the verse before that, Exodus 15, 2. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. This was written after Israel was saved from Egypt. They were brought out of slavery. They were rescued from the grip of death with Pharaoh's army uh, bearing down on them. The sea was parted by God and their enemies were drowned in the sea. That's the kind of warrior that Jesus is who protects his people. What does he save us from? Our enemies, we might, may not have as many literal ones, but from our sin, uh, from evil forces in the spiritual realm that would want to tear us down, from this broken world, ultimately, he'll protect us and rescue us out of. That's right near the beginning of the Bible. How about the end of the Bible? Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Mike referenced this in a sermon back in May. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp, sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. On the one hand, that's a frightening picture of Christ. But remember, this was written to people who are experiencing persecution all over the Roman world. Imagine, even if in our day and time, if you were someone in Nigeria who was about to have your church attacked by um, extremist terrorists, or if you're in uh, in Ukraine, worried about uh, shelling and an army that's on your town's doorstep. This is a picture of Christ you wouldn't be afraid of, you would love. You would long for Jesus to come in as a warrior and protect you. And Jesus promises he'll do this on a worldwide level one day. And he's protecting us, his people in the meantime. But back to Matthew 10, a little bit earlier than our focus verses, you see this in Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus will keep us firm to the end. 
even despite the world hating us. Now it's important here, a side note, to remember that we need to be hated because of Jesus, not just because of some personality quirk or lack of character in ourselves. We can't claim the righteous higher ground if it's because we're, um, we're arrogant, we lack compassion, or we fail to try to contextualize the gospel to those uh, we're trying to reach out to. But if it is truly for Jesus that we lose something, uh, whether it's something materially or the approval of others, uh, the love of our family, he will protect and save us and create a new family for us, a new identity that can never be taken away. And he'll reward us. Jesus protects us so we can profit. Now, by that, I don't mean that Jesus promises us uh, material wealth or fame in this world, but he does promise to give us more than we can imagine. Look right after this passage, verses 40 to 42 of Matthew 10. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Now, of course, Jesus wants us all to be soldiers in his army, spreading his his love around the world uh, and wherever we are. But this passage even is saying, even if you just give supplies to those who are my soldiers, even if you give a cup of water to someone who's doing my work, you'll share in their reward. God is eager to reward us. He's not like uh, the Soviet um, uh, government in the 40s and 50s and 60s that were oppressing their own people, promising one thing but giving them another. Jesus is longing to bless us, longing for us to have the peace, purpose, the joy of being together with him on his mission. So if it's if you're in the battle with Jesus, you see him as a warrior, but it seems tough, persevere. Know that he has rewards for you far than, more than you can imagine. And I wish I knew what these rewards were. Maybe our minds just can't fathom it. Uh, we see glimpses in scripture of what God offers us, a new city with uh, streets of gold and uh, fruit that's in season every month of the year, a new fruit every every month. There's uh, He tells of no more tears, no more pain. Uh, again, I don't know fully, and it's hard to grasp what his rewards are, but if it's a God who's created enough to make my wife and children that I love, who's caring enough to die on the cross for me and for others, then how can I not trust that his rewards are better than anything the world could offer, anything I set my mind on? aside from him. So having Jesus as our warrior is the safest place to be. As we prioritize him, he'll protect us and we'll profit uh, in ways we can never imagine. And remember, Jesus is a warrior who's already won the fight. Uh, Basically, the rest of human history that we're a part of is Jesus coming back through town, uh, putting things straight, establishing his order and dividing his innumerable spoils among his children. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is no one like you in every way, including you as as our warrior. Uh, You um, are fierce against anything that stands in opposition to you in order that you can protect and bless 
uh, us. And Lord, we pray that you would be our warrior, that you would protect those in the world right now who are suffering persecution, that you would guard our hearts from distraction, from uh, getting distracted by civilian affairs, and that you would let us join in this fight with you of showing your love to the world and bringing about your kingdom and your reign uh, forever and ever, which we know you'll do with or without us, but thank you that you let us be a part of it. And may that be true of our, our church, of all your followers in our city and the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name.